hello everybody. Welcome back to bad, to badquaker.com uh, podcast one more time. Today is Wednesday, May 18th, 2011. I'm Ben. And I'm Kai. Uh, we're here again with you. Uh, we like to try to get one of these podcasts out every Wednesday. Um, I got a letter, and uh, uh, it really struck a chord with me because I think everybody who has uh, begun moving into the realization of what liberty is and libertarian ideas, and even those uh, moving on into anarcho-capitalism, at some point in your life you come to a certain stage. And this person wrote me an email, and and it, it is expressing that stage that's so common to so many of us. And I wanted to uh, to just touch this. I didn't have his permission to, to you know, actually expose the email. So we're going to paraphrase it. Kai's going to read it for you. And we're just going to basically give you the idea of what he says, and then we'll discuss it. Uh, are you ready there? Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. Okay. I now feel much more comfortable with the ideals of a truly free society. I can see the benefits to society that would come from living the non-aggression lifestyle. However, it seems to me like wishing to win the lottery. It's just too late and never going to happen, which is disheartening. We all talk about what it would be like or how we would or could live in a truly libertarian society. And we piece a few things together that might help us get there. But in the end, I hate to say it, but it feels like wasted effort because it just feels like it's never going to happen. I guess my question is, what can we do to help move it along? How do we, as individuals or as a society, fix this and enact the changes necessary to move forward and reach our lofty goal? Will society ever taste freedom? I just don't think so. I wish there was something I could do that would make a difference, but I have a feeling deep in the pit of my stomach that no amount of effort will ever breach the barrier society has created in its dependence upon the state. I think all of us uh, have <clears throat> gone through that same series of emotions uh, at least once, but usually I think we face it over and over and over. There's just times when you look at the world and and you just slap your face with your palms and you just say, there's no way. This is never going to happen. And particularly... It, it comes in stages because when you first look at it and you look at the ideals, you say, okay, I believe in uh, minarchist or anarchist principles. I think that uh, there should not be a state. Um, and so we're going to work towards moving away from the state. And then when you really start to dig deeper into it and you start to realize how much the state has its claws into every aspect of day-to-day life, you begin to get a little overwhelmed. Like, Mm. how can we even, how can we get from here to freedom? Right. You know, I've thought about this, and someday maybe I'll even give it a try. But, you know, uh, in business, a lot of times you use flow charts. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of really fun flow charts on the Internet that make fun of different things. And there's flow charts on how to have an argument and flow charts on how to wash your cat, Mm -hmm. you know. But I was thinking about a flow chart for moving through the phases of a a, a libertarian mindset to get to a point of where um, we achieve what we actually want to achieve. And among those things, you know, you can imagine a flowchart where it starts off and it says, okay, first we adopt the zero aggression principle, uh, or the zero aggression, uh, the zap, zero aggression principle, 
On principle. Or the nap. Yeah. I prefer the nap. Okay. I think it's a little less aggressive. Non, yeah, okay. Non-aggressions to zero. Zero. <laughs> anyway. Um, Who wouldn't prefer a nap to a zap? <laughs> anyway, uh, but whatever we call it, when we first look at that and we say, well, that would be a nice idea, but, hey, you know, how can you do that? And then... And, and then you start to understand property rights, and you start to understand how property rights work in conjunction with uh, that principle. And, and these things start to come together. And if you could imagine a flow chart where you go, well, if this, then yes, no, then go to here. And, and among the steps that you go through, facing the question, how can we ever win at this? How can we ever accomplish this? How can we make this happen? That's one of those boxes that you get to. Another one of those boxes that you get to that are real common, and I just want to throw it in to, to give a contrast, is so often you, you get to a point of where you hit this, this, the point of where you say, just like you just said a second ago, the tentacles of this beast are just wrapped around everything, and everything I've ever believed is tainted yep. by the ink of this monstrous squid. Yep. And, and you just look at this and you think, you know, what can I believe and what can I not believe? Everything I've been taught in school was wrong. Everything the media tells me is wrong. Everything in the history books is wrong. Everything, and, you, and you start to get into this paranoid mindset where you don't know what to believe and you don't know what to believe. But, well, that's the same thing. You don't know what to believe and you don't know what to, to <laughs> reject. And you just start to get really, really beat down by it. And I think at that point in the flow chart, one of those arrows goes off to ten foil land. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like, you know, if you go in that direction it's really hard to come back because it's it's a no man's land that you that that is maybe there's a lot of truth out there. Who knows how much of that stuff out in tin foily is, is true, but it's such a wide, vast area of nothingness that if you get caught out into it you may never come back. That way lies madness. Yeah, and it's the same way, in a sense, with this one, with with this how can we ever win. If you let yourself go in that direction too far, it can really drive you nuts. There, there's also, uh, there are a couple of stages that I've seen uh, where at the very beginning there's also the, an anger stage. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The stage that how dare you... Uh, how, mm. You know, we have to get rid of it. We have to go kill the beast. Right. And and that doesn't work either. You have to resist those urges, too, mm -hmm. uh, because that just leads to an inevitable loop. Right. That just, I mean, the, the, the state wants you. That is the way the state wants you to go. Yeah. The state loves revolution. Revolution is what the state is built upon. <laughs> I say this often. And I probably it's probably gets uh, tiresome to hear me constantly type it or constantly say it, but the state has three uh, tools, three methods, three ways that it functions. It has lies, it has theft, and it has aggression. Uh, everything that the state does falls into one of those. Mm -hmm. Now, temporary, short term, sometimes it seems like the state's doing something that doesn't fit in those categories. But if you look hard enough, you find out that the only way it can do anything else is by first doing the aggression or the lie or um, the, uh, the theft. Uh, the theft. <laughs> um, so, so when we take an active role 
to tear down the state. What we're actually doing is aggressing against mm-hmm. the state. And this is the part, I think, uh, you know, we joke a little bit about the idea of using the phrase bad Quaker because we're not good Quakers because we're not pacifists. Um, and I should point out that, that I call myself bad Quaker. Kai doesn't necessarily call herself a bad Quaker, but but uh, but uh, so I speak it for myself. I kind of joke around about bad Quaker because good Quakers are pacifists, and I'm not a pacifist. I don't believe in just sitting there and allowing yourself to be harmed or allowing your property to be harmed or allowing your family to be harmed. On the other hand, you have to use restraint and you have to recognize when to act and when not to act and how to act. Mm-hmm. And in dealing with the state, the state is always the aggressor. But if you take on the role of aggressor and you actively attempt to bring down the state, whether that be by getting involved in the state uh, and trying to shrink it, or whether that's in the, the anarchist tendency to want to violently attack the state, what you're actually doing is using the mechanisms of the state to attack the state. And the state knows exactly how to deal with that. Yeah, that would be like going to Mike Tyson and challenging challenging him to a boxing match. Yeah. If I were going if if Mike Tyson were a problem to me, I, there's a variety of ways I can deal with Mike Tyson. One of those that would be really stupid is for me to challenge him to a boxing match. Right. Uh, a better method might be to catch him asleep and hit him in the head with a board. See, now that's not going at him according to his specialty. Right. It might be aggressive, but not the point. Anyway, so my point when dealing with the state, to to actively get involved and try to modify the state taints you in the state, and it puts you in the arena where the state wants you, where it knows how to deal with you, where it's been doing this for 9,000 years and it's an expert, and we are amateurs. Mm-hmm. We are when when we try to move in that realm, uh, we're stuck with things like honesty and right. integrity. And that the state has no uh, no history yeah. with it has no need of honesty or playing fair or using logic or playing by the rules. It doesn't need to do any of those things uh, because it. Again, we'll just lie and steal and make it always win. Now, this brings up a question, and you and I were talking about this earlier today, um, in regards to voting. Now, and I should mention we're not we're not done with that letter. Right. We just want to sidestep for a minute because I'm really good at that. <laughs> and and all of this is uh, in reference to the letter, and we will wrap it up at the end and and show exactly. You know why this all ties into that. I, I hope. <laughs> or we're just rambling. Uh, anyway, um, we were talking earlier uh, about voting, and you had made uh, you had said your position on voting. And I have a tendency to make rather bold, unapologetic statements uh, that people have a tendency to not like. <laughs> well, it might be easier for you, in a, in a sense. Because uh, you you didn't really have to go through a lot of the paths to get to the position you're in, uh, having been exposed to more of it being raised. Right. I was sort of uh, 
an anarchist from the cradle. <laughs> um, you know, I was the kid in in sixth grade handing out anarchist flyers in the hallways of school. You know, so I never really had to go through the challenge of facing the idea that everything that I knew was a lie because I knew going into it that it was a lie. Of course it was a lie. They're talking. <laughs> of course they're lying. So now what do you think about voting? We, we have. Oh, let me set this up a little bit better. Here's what happened the other day. Uh, there was a Republican debate, and none of the big, what you might call the big Republican power hitters were there. Um, it was all, I, I don't mean to offend anybody who's a fan of any particular Republican, but it was all second tier or lower Republican players. And uh, one thing that stood out and that the media took note of was that Ron Paul was there at the debate. And that one day he had one of what they call a money bomb. And he collected over a million dollars in one day on the day of that debate. And that was a significant event because... Uh, that's a lot of money to collect in one day, mm-hmm. and and they, the media particularly in in such small increments uh, using the internet. Yeah, we're not talking about you know somebody uh, writing a check for yeah two hundred thousand dollars and donating it. We're talking about massive amounts of people donating five, ten, twenty dollars. Exactly, and that's how Ron Paul raises money, and so that's really impressive that he could do that, and then. Like, I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday of this week, something like that. The news came out that Mitt Romney has decided to run, and he had a one-day fundraising event and raised $10 million in right. eight hours. Right. Now, his method was a little different. Ron Paul's method was thousands of people on the Internet voluntarily prepared for this day, and when the day came, they all they all jumped onto the internet and they all gave their five or ten dollars whereas Mitt Romney rented a massive room in a Las Vegas hotel and he stocked it full of a boiler room of uh, uh, telephone (laughs) people (laughs) and uh, they just power called and raised $10 million through power calling from through a donation list. harassing people. Yeah, well, I think probably a lot of them were prepared ahead of time. But you get a lot of these, a lot of these uh, donations in, in that form come where, they, they come through where you've got one fundraiser who fundraises professionally. It's what he does for a living. And he has contacts. Maybe he has 5,000 contacts. And he gets the maximum donation from mm-hmm. each of those 5,000 contacts. And he has it all committed to him. And then they call him and he donates it all at once. And all of those people who are giving, you know, three, four $4,000 at a time are all getting a nice little tax deduction. And yeah. their uh, accountants are happy. And mm-hmm. so, so I guess my point in all that was to say that with all the wonderful effort that Ron Paul's people did to raise a million dollars, Mitt Romney moves his little pinky and he's got $10 million. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that's nothing compared to what he can do. Right. He can literally do 10 times that if it if it's required of him. Yep. So so then the the going almost back to the to the email 
So what can we do? What's the option? If if they can outfund a, a major candidate like Ron Paul, then what's the use of having Ron Paul? What's right. the good of having him there? Uh, should we rush in and try to vote for him and try to do everything we can to support his candidacy? Or uh, is it even worth it, you know? Um, is it worth it to even try? Uh, and, and that kind of, that gets to the heart. Um, I get into a lot of trouble. Uh, Ron Paul is sort of a, a darling of the libertarian movement and, and uh, Tea Party people. And all of the libertarian-leaning uh, right have a tendency to just love Ron Paul. And if you attack Ron Paul, oh, you've attacked the Messiah. And I like Ron Paul. I like Ron Paul as much as any anarchist can like any politician. But <laughs> you, you almost spit when you say that. <laughs> now, I should mention, too, that that I I have to admit, you know, that here's my little confessional. I did vote for Ron Paul in 1988 <laughs> as a libertarian. So I'm not new to this. This is not a new game for me. Right. And I have to admit, too, that I went down and registered as a Republican and voted for him in the last, in, the, in what, 2008? Um, so I did that, you know, I went down and, uh, <laughs> what an experience, but, uh, you know, I've done a lot of things I'm ashamed of. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of supporting Ron Paul. I'm not saying that. And, but, but, but the question arose, um, that, that was presented to me, which was if now I'm not registered as a Republican and I don't really intend on doing so. Uh, so I have no say in the primaries. But if Ron Paul were to be uh, elected the candidate. the candidate for the Republican Party, would I vote for Ron Paul? And uh, my answer was no. And that shocked people because I like Ron Paul. I really do. I like a lot of the things that he's doing. I think he is doing really good work, but uh, I'm not going to vote for him. Um, I'm not going to vote for anybody. I don't really care if uh, Ludwig von Mises came back from the grave and put his, uh, <laughs> you know, candidacy in. I wouldn't vote for him. Well, I, for one, have always been opposed to zombies. <laughs> <laughs> should we put, just because I said that one time, should we put that in the in the internet tags so that yes. anybody searching Ludwig von Mises, Ron Paul, and zombies will find us? Absolutely. Oh, boy. Um, and, and there's a reason that I don't, I don't participate in voting. Um, I, I don't vote for anything. If... The uh, well, I wanted to present that this question to you, if if I can interrupt you. Sure. Um, so this is something that I've talked about on the internet with people a few times, and um, and I have to say that my actions are not necessarily where my feelings told me I should have been with it. But here's the scenario: we have in the town that I live in here. Uh, it's a fairly small town, and it seems like every six months when they have an election, there's a new school levy to raise the taxes to give more money to the school. Now, the school that we have already is one of the richest schools in the state. They have a, a stadium out there, a football stadium, that rival that would rival any football stadium in the NFL in, in the late 60s, early 70s. It, it's a really nice stadium. Um, it's a ex very expensive school. It's all brand new. You drive by it, you think you're driving past a, a federal penitentiary. It's 
it's so massive and just monstrous looking. And they want more money every six months from me because it's an emergency and they just can't operate without it. And when they have these levies, oftentimes, uh, well, one of them came down to 12 votes, within 12 votes of them passing another levy on us to tax us further. So when the, ta- when the, when the votes are that close, I feel obliged to go down and vote to try to stop them from taxing me more. And on a practical level... I know that it's worth it. I know that talking to my neighbors and I know that encouraging them to go vote saves me money and, you know, moves my cause ahead of of not funding that hideous institute up there on the mountain that overlooks the town. But I'm torn because I realize the moral uh, position that I'm putting myself in. And it's a little bit easier for me because, uh, well, number one, I'm not a homeowner. Uh, Number two, I'm young, and therefore I kind of have the luxury of being able to uh, have a firm moral position uh, you know, yes, I have that I, fire old, of youth. Us old people are immoral. That's what you're trying to say. You think I go down to the grocery store and steal batteries, don't you? <laughs> I'm just saying when you get, as you get older, it's it becomes easier to just do uh, easy things that make your life easier. Right. And not you so get tired much of the battle. holding on to a moral superiority. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me... It, when, if you have two robbers that come up to you, and one says, I'm going to steal all of your money, and the other one says, I'm going to steal two-thirds of your money, and they say, and you can choose which one you want to rob you, mm. it seems like you ought to choose the one that says two-thirds, but the moral thing to do is to not lend legitimacy to either of them. Right. To say, I'm not going to... To authorize your robbery. Exactly. I'm, I'm not going to give my stamp of approval to that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow you to compromise my integrity. And it may cost me more money, but it's the correct thing to do. I think that's really uh, confusing. Um, even in my mind, sometimes I confuse myself with that because... You know, uh, it's so hard when you're faced with a moral decision or a practical decision to realize that in the short term, the practical decision sounds like it's the best. But in the long term, the practical outcome of a moral decision will be better than the practical outcome of the short-term practical solution. Mm-hmm. Did, that, did I just talk in a circle? <laughs> I think so, but I understood it. So it it's very difficult because... One of the things, and getting back to the email, how how do you how do you fight this monster? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you further your goals? How do you become a free person? And when it boils right down to it, my idea, my feelings on the matter are: I don't need someone else to give me the authorization to be free. Mm. My freedom is not based off of anybody else or what anybody else is doing. That doesn't mean you're not frustrated with all the nonsense that Mm -hmm. the state throws at you constantly. And that doesn't mean that you 
if you're a free person, you can still be robbed from. Now, you can try to defend yourself, but you can still be robbed from. But that doesn't make you any less free. I think also, uh, we were talking earlier about the, um, the Rand uh, article that she wrote back in 64, um, called It's Earlier Than You Think. That was in the, uh, the Objectionist Newsletter, 1964. And, it, and the, moment, uh, the moment was very similar to the moment that we're in right now, where there's a solid, dynamic, um, very libertarian face that's well-known in the United States. In those days, it was Barry Goldwater. He was, he had some status tendencies and he had some conservative tendencies and some right-wing tendencies, but he had a lot of the libertarian uh, basics down and he, and he was right on a lot of things. And Rand was supporting him and a lot of libertarians were very excited about him. And even though she was supporting him, she wrote in 1964, uh, the, and that title is, It's Earlier Than You Think. And her point in the article was, that wherever we think we are in the in the distance we need to go to get to the end to, to that ultimate liberty it's much earlier than you think and she put it in a way uh, that it's it's it almost doesn't matter how far along you think we are we're really not that far along mm -hmm. it, it, this is all in its infancy this you know I've written over and over and I've talked and talked and talked about Jericho uh, being the birth of the state and the original f formation of the state. And even if there was uh, some city-state that, that cropped up before Jericho, I can use Jericho as the figurehead to say that was the birth of the state. Mm -hmm. That was 9,000 years ago. It took 9,000 years for the state to go from one huddled pile of rocks and a few robbers to almost dominating the world that it does today. Mm -hmm. And really, the state didn't start to seriously mature until the last 100, 150 years. Yep. So if the state took 9,000 years to mature, and we're not there yet, the state's not done. Yep. That's the really, really disgusting part of this. You know, if you, wanna, if you want sunshines and lollipops, uh, we're kind of short on them right now because... I don't think the state's even close to its maturity. No, I think the, the mere fact that we have uh, the option of voting for someone like Ron Paul means that we are not even approaching the end of this. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at all of the 1984-type uh, writings on what the state is ultimately going to be, there's no Ron Paul. Yeah, there, and, there's no and even in the movement. In, in the 1984, even when there was a hope that there was a rebel movement, when you get down to it and you find out, it's not really. Yeah, it's it's, it's just the state. It's a facade, and it's just to draw people in so they can figure out who the potential rebels will be, so they can func so they can uh, um, uh, the function of the state can take them right back into the system yep. and reprogram them again. Yep. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't in any way believe we're going to not win. I believe in every way that eventually the state will collapse. But here is the real key. It's not because we will make it collapse. It will be because there's nothing of substance to yeah. keep the state alive. And that, I think, brings us to what it is that we can do on a day-to-day -day basis 
to um, encourage the collapse of the state. And just like the state has three weapons, uh, so too do we need to have weapons of equal and opposite power. Um, I think where the state has lies, we need to have the truth. Yeah, let me interrupt you just for a second because uh, these these points that you're about to make are really critical. Uh, the truth on everything. I was I was reading a thing about a Christian uh, anarchist from the 1800s. I was just reading this today, and he got it in his head that if he could create a myth of perfection and and sell that as propaganda to people, even if it wasn't true, they would accept it rather than the state. Mm -hmm. Now, his problem was, if you're using a lie to, to, to accomplish a good, you're just as bad as the state. Exactly. As a matter of fact, you have become the state. You need to not fall into the traps of the ends justify the means. Exactly. You need to uh, stay moral and do the right thing, no matter the consequences of it. And, and telling the truth is one of those things. And we need to not only promote the truth and tell the truth and get out there and uh, talk to people and point out when the state uh, does something that is evil, we also need to, in every aspect of our lives, find the truth. Mm -hmm. um, look at what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Mm -hmm. Who has led me to believe this? Is this the truth? Mm -hmm. um, everything from... Uh, you know, why does the sun shine to uh, who manufactures my shoes? Right. Everything. You need to find out the truth about it. And, and that doesn't mean you need to be a walking encyclopedia, but what it means is that you that you can't allow yourself to be fooled by, mm -hmm. by uh, you know, tricks or propaganda or, or whatever. And if it doesn't matter, uh, you know, about your shoes or the sunshine or whatever... Uh, then you don't have to get completely involved in every aspect of everything, but the main, but the main point being that whenever presented with a, a, a piece of information, you really look at it critically to see what it is you're being handed and why you're being handed it, and uh, and, and you know mm -hmm. whether or not it's something you want to accept. Yep, and uh, and this uh, the truth is the only thing that can combat the lies of the state. And then you look at what the state's other weapons are. Well, they have aggression. And so to combat aggression, you have to be non-aggressive. Right. Uh, you have to follow the non-aggression principle mm -hmm. um, in all facets of your life, you know, from not uh, violently uprising and throwing the government out of office mm -hmm. all the way down to... Um, you know, not um, mm, not voting. <laughs> not voting. Um, and then you know, uh, the the last piece of the puzzle is theft, mm -hmm. and, and the government has theft. And I think because the government has theft, uh, the best thing to do to combat that uh, is to promote charity. Uh, charity yeah. through capitalism. Exactly. Um, the free market overcomes theft. Absolutely. And promoting the free market whenever possible. Um, instead of going and buying uh, grapes at the grocery store, 
that were uh, subsidized and caused, mm. uh, you know, Mexican farmers to lose their jobs and have to come to the United States and take drastic pay cuts, go to your local farmer's market and, and buy uh, your food from local producers. Or get crazy and plant some grapes. And, and grow your own. Uh, that way you know exactly who it's coming from. You know you're not uh, stealing from anyone. And you're not having anybody steal from you because um, sales tax is theft. And mm. as much as you can do to avoid paying it, you should. Yeah. Um, oh, I was going to mention uh, uh, Harry Brown's book. Um, how I found freedom in an unfree world. Uh, the contrast there, though, not to take us in a backwards direction, uh, Harry Brown was basically saying in his book that what, what we're saying here is you just go and you live free and you teach freedom to everybody who will accept it. You don't aggress on them and mm-hmm. force it on anyone, but, but you teach uh, freedom and you live freedom. Here's a, here's a Quaker, here's a Quaker um, um, standard, a Quaker principle. Uh, if someone says, if someone comes to a person of a normal denomination, because Quakers are not normal, someone comes to a normal denomination, they say, what do you believe about the uh, Mary and the virgin birth? Or what do you believe about the star? Or what do you believe about uh, creation or the flood or whatever? And then they, and then they repeat lines and, and they, and they may, maybe say a slogan that they've been taught or, or they quote a Bible verse or whatever like that. But the Quaker believes that Let's say truth, okay? So if you say, um, as if a person says uh, that they that they uh, support truth, well, the Quaker says, I don't have to say I support truth. Look at me. Mm-hmm. If I'm lying, if my life is a lie, if aspects of me are a lie, then I do not support truth. Absolutely. But as my life expresses truth, then then I have witnessed that truth. I have given my witness as truth. It's not the words that come out of my mouth. This is why I don't have to swear an oath and say, I've promised to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. No, I'm not saying that because I don't have to. My life expresses truth. And if my life expresses a lie, then saying the magic words means nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way with, with liberty, and that's kind of the way with uh, moving into an anarchi- uh, anarcho-capitalist society is the first thing we do is we live that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live it in every way that we possibly can. And if that means growing your own this or that, or if that means you know doing something outside the system that moves towards all of us functioning in that way. Yep. But it doesn't mean attacking the state to make... Going back to the Quaker thing, I'm not going to run into a courtroom... And insist that everybody stops saying, I swear to tell the truth. Right. Because that violates the Quaker principle. Right. Uh, what I instead do is I change myself. And as I change myself, one person at a time, we change the world. And yep. that kind of sounds pie in the sky. Oh, John Lennon's going to hold hands. We're all going to sing about no, 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 no. That's the fake side. Mm-hmm. That's the fake image that the state gives to us. I know John Lennon would roll in his grave if he found out he was working <laughs> for the state. But he was a communist, and he was a socialist, and he was working for the state. Yep. 
But the truth is, that's how we do it. Yep. We do it one person at a time. And me, that's the only person I can change. And the thing is, the state is completely uh, adept at aggression. It knows how to do aggression. Mm-hmm. What it cannot function under is people ignoring it. Yeah. And so the thing to do, it, whenever you get down and you say, how can we win? We, we, we have such a battle in front of us. The only way to win is to withdraw support from the state. Do everything in your power to withdraw all support that you can. And every single time that the state rears its ugly head, point to it. Yeah. And say, that's the state. Right. Now, I just want to wrap this up on a negative note. (laughs) Because it's been such a cheery podcast today. I really do think this is going to go along for go on for a lot longer. I I I look at the resources that the state has. The state will dissolve everything that it can dissolve and it will absorb everything that can absorb and it will destroy everything that can destroy and it will do that to a saturation point when it to the point of where it can no longer support itself and then it will collapse uh, very in a very ugly manner. And this is not going to be pretty for us. I, I don't look to the future uh, as a wonderful, you know, rosy thing. And and I so much appreciate what Ron Paul's doing. And I so much appreciate what the folks in the in the Free State Project are doing. And, and the uh, all the different activists that are doing everything they're doing is important because it spreads the word out to more and more people. Mm-hmm. And all that's great. And it's important. But this, I believe the state will continue to grow, continue to get more and more oppressive, and the time will come when there will be no Ron Paul, and there will be no Free State Project, okay. and there will be no uh, seasteading. There will be no seasteading project. If, if, the, if the wonderful folks at the seasteading program can go out and, and build themselves a mobile island and build themselves a perfect little community... The state will eat it. Mm-hmm. They will do something because they can't allow something like that to exist. And I hope them. I wish them well. I hope they're able to do this. I hope they can go and have a hundred years or a thousand years of a of a perfect libertarian society. I hope they can do that. But I know that at some point the state will find them and the state will eat them because that's what the state does. Yeah. But I also know this: mankind will win. Because we have to. Because there's no other there's no other possibility. You look at the state and it's uh, it's like a virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a virus eats and reproduces and kills its host, and it spreads and it kills another host, and it spreads and it kills another host. Eventually, the virus will die because yeah. it can't keep consuming uh, hosts. And there are always hosts that are immune to that virus yeah. who will live on after it. Uh, now, <clears throat> this is, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll put out, um, um, oh, 
What's the What's the one where the they get infected and the bits fall off of them? Oh, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Leprosy. Okay, yeah. yeah leprosy. Yeah. Uh, leprosy was a terrible disease. Leprosy uh, is is still a terrible disease, um, and it infected and it killed massive amounts of people. But now it's dying off because the people who are left are immune to it, mm-hmm. and it can no longer find hosts. That's a really good example, uh, because we are, uh, as a species, more and more of us have the genetic makeup that makes us immune to leprosy, Mm -hmm. and the few that are left that have it. So, boy, that's a hideous way to look at the state, but it's fairly accurate that at some point in time, the few people that are remained, that are buying the story of the state, will be the few people left that the state can devour. And eventually, the state will devour its own. Mm-hmm. And eventually, those of us who don't buy the state's uh, song and dance routine will live on, mm-hmm. and it will not. Now, I'll go back to, um, uh, uh, oh, I always forget his name. He owned the pond. Oh, uh, <laughs> not, not Thoreau, the not one Thoreau. who owned the pond, Emerson. Emerson. Emerson, and I, and I always mess up his quote, so I'm not even going to try, but Emerson basically said that at some point, man will accept peace and will accept a free society. And, and at that point in time, it won't be a matter of trying to convince people. It will just be the natural reaction. Now, some writers have put this as an evolutionary jump. Some people have put it as a spiritual enlightenment. There have been uh, a variety of ways to look at it, and I don't know which one of those is correct. Uh, but I do know this. There will come a time when we will be immune to the state, and the state will simply cease to exist because no one will be around to keep it going anymore. And I, unfortunately, I think before that time comes, the state's going to get really, really ugly. And the generation that survives the last waves of the state is going to see some ugly things, you know. But the uglier the state gets, the more obvious it becomes and the more of us become immune to its abilities. Yep. Anyway, anything else? So, today's podcast was brought to you by, what, the fourth day in a row where we haven't seen sunshine. (laughs) I thought you were going to say by the, I thought you were going to make some kind of uh, biblical reference to to riders (laughs) in the sky and and, and death, you know, and his name is death. (laughs) Yes, we, we are just not seeing any sunlight. It's rain, 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 rain. And now it's gotten cold. And, and so uh, I want my money back because Al Gore promised me global warming. <laughs> and he promised that New York and Los Angeles would fall away into the sea and that Florida Florida would be covered with water and that it would be warm for the rest of us. And 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 I did my part. <laughs> I didn't carpool. I drove a lot. I didn't have a car that had good gas mileage. I did my part. Where is my global warming? Global warming and flying cars. We want it now. (laughs) When do we want it? Now. (laughs) Okay, thanks a lot, folks. We appreciate you uh, listening to Bad Quaker Podcast. And be sure and leave us some feedback. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out at badquaker.com. I'm Ben. I'm Ty. See you later, folks. Thanks a lot.